Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express. We deliver tennis worldwide right to your front door. And now, here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan here again with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner on another balmy weekday in New York here. Um, the uh, tournaments, tennis tournaments, go down another pretty hot location this week, Atlanta. It's a new event, sort of a new event. It's been around in previous incarnations. Uh, I think it stopped in 2001. Have either of you guys been to that at all, that event, in any time? I never have. Never been to a tournament in Atlanta. I have actually. It was a pretty good little tournament, but it was it was a little was the operative word at that time, and you know, which is kind of a shame because Atlanta probably is the premier tennis city in the United States. It's one of those, you know, tennis is a crazy sport that way. If you think about it, there's a city like Atlanta is absolutely tennis mad. They get they get a great great base of players and stuff. Yet they haven't had a pro event, and then of course, you know, you have the lack of pro events in cities like uh, Chicago. You know, uh, San Francisco. Philadelphia. Philadelphia used to have a huge indoor tournament, down. which people, it's hard to believe now. One of the greatest indoor tournaments ever, the U.S. Pro Indoor, played on parallel courts. Yeah, exactly. You probably went there as yeah, a kid, Yeah, I was there Steve. a few of those, yeah. Yeah, the ball would roll over. Rod Laver would have to say, hold it, and you have to get the ball and pitch it back to the other court. But, yeah, no, Philadelphia, too, is taking a whack. So it's, you know, the, you know, the, the tennis tennis map really is is just chock full of holes surprising atlanta because atlanta's bigger you know bigger than philly or chicago i think as far as tennis goes you got you have alto which is huge wreck a huge wreck um system and then you have a lot of good you know donald young and and um a bunch of other players who are good players from that area it's not you know they have all levels of tennis there well just in the south in general too you see birmingham gets a couple of these fed cup and davis cup ties now it's just there's just a lot of interest in general down there i'd say well, yeah, and Atlanta, you know, is, is a prime spot. I think they're going to have a good tournament there. I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, people don't realize it, but it's not as if it's it's well-planned, and, you know, it's it, there's no central authority in tennis planning these things, so nobody can, can look and say, look, we got to put a tournament in Chicago. Really what happens is, you know, tennis the tennis is organized almost like a big condominium apartment building, and the people own the units, and they sell the units to each other. And you have no control over that. I mean, we all remember Indian Wells, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, it was almost sold to some Asian interests who were going to move it and start a tournament somewhere in Asia in that time slot. You buy the week, basically. And uh, so it's really, you know, catch as catch can. And that's one of the weaknesses. Hence, you get the call for a commissioner in tennis or some kind of organization that would make sense of some of these things. Yeah, and it's the same week that Hamburg is going on. We all know what kind of happened to that event overseas. But for Atlanta, you're talking about a good tournament. This this is a pretty strong field for an event, uh, in sort of an inaugural event. There's Andy Rodder took in a late wild card. There's John Isner. He's the local man from Georgia, from the Georgia Bulldogs. Um and Leighton Hewitt and most of the other Americans you kind of have known to expect with U.S. Open Series. Uh, let's start with just Roddick a little bit, though. I got a question, though, um, from Sarah Hartley in Oakland. Uh, she asked about Roddick's you know, state of his game in general. Um, you know, After the Wimbledon loss, I, the Wimbledon loss to Lou, she was talking about if it was reverting to back to the old priest to Fanky days to him, not being aggressive like he was against, against Federer in Wimbledon. There's not a lot to see about Roddick in the last few months, but what have you? What would you say about a, his game? I think he's he's walked a fine line of playing. You know, he's not hasn't played defensively, but he's played very. This spring, he played well by being consistent, using his serve and just mixing up playing basic baseline tennis, mixing the ball, mixing his locations up. But but not I would say not really being incredibly aggressive. He was he was more aggressive against Federer last year at Wimbledon, but that was also a match. I mean, he played better than I would say than he's than he's ever played you're not going to expect him to match that level regularly but I, I feel like 
at the French Open in Wimbledon, he that that sort of st- steady, consistent style didn't didn't serve him well. He ended up being a little passive, and I think he even he even said that in the match match against Louis played horribly for two sets. Yeah, well, he's become a very cagey player. I think what's what's really you know. Um, What's happened there is that I guess what he's probably thinking at and, and what he and Fanky are thinking about and looking at is, well, did we, are we trying to finesse our, you know, are we finessing our way out of contention here? Because Andy's game has really grown so much. I mean, that backhand now is, is actually a pretty good shot. I mean, he's not going to hit a lot of winners with it, but he can do a lot of different things with it and he can adjust it to whatever surface he's playing on pretty well. And, you know, player, even the other players have remarked his forehand isn't what it used to be. That isn't because he doesn't have the power anymore. It's because he's not going for broke with that forehand. He's not playing so much of a winner-take-all-go-for-broke kind of a game. So, you know, I think he changed right. that a long time ago. His forehand right. hasn't been the way it was in 2003 for a while. He, I think he, he went with more consistency you know, a, few, a few years ago, and he's pretty much stuck with that. Yeah. Well, I think the good news for Roddick fans would be that, you know, for one, he's back on the hard courts that he was doing so well on in Indian Wells in Miami, and he should get this hard court season a number of events under his belt before the U.S. Open. He didn't have much preparation for – either of the last two majors um you know but what I guess if you want to have a little last word on Roddick I I guess what's really a fair assessment of what makes this a successful hardcore campaign from does he need the net is he is he just major or done or is he still measuring his steps and you know if he puts in a good quarterfinal semifinal result that's fine too if you ask him it won't do it it's about the majors and winning another major or winning a master's event I think that's that's big for him he was it was a big win for him to win Key Biscayne if he wins one of the Masters events uh, this summer. But I don't think any quarter or semi in any tournament is he's going to come out of and think that's a good result. He's going to need three finals, I think. In this, I, I'm, I'm thinking he needs three finals in his hard court series to, to say, okay, well, I had, I had a pretty good summer or you know, a great summer, depending on how he does in those finals. And, you know... Those are makeable. I mean, I think uh, he's, he's got a good record at, at a lot of yeah. the hardcore I tournaments. So, look, you make hay when the sun shines. Rafael Nadal makes hay in you know in in, in April and May and you know, on, on a clay court season. And and this is it's Andy Roddick's time now. And you know, I have a feeling also that he's modulating things. Uh, his schedule. He's looking at that a lot more closely. We saw him pull out of Davis Cup because he doesn't want to be playing those that many weeks. I think he's becoming. He's starting to take care of his body better. I think just you know not in terms of fitness or nutrition, but really just in terms of picking his spots, when he's going to play, how much he's going to play. And look, he knows that his best chances by far really are on hard courts. Um, you know, with the exception of Wimbledon grass, where he does awful well too. So, you know, I think he's. He's picking a spot. It'll be interesting to see how he does because if he has a good hard court season, you can say that he played the played the early part of the year very well. Mm-hmm. I also think he's been around too long to be satisfied without these without you know winning these types of tournaments and even even the U.S. Open. You know, since he's since he won it before, almost anything has to be a little bit of a disappointment. Anything yeah, else? Exactly. Shop Tennis Express for the best selection of top brands with expert service at fair prices. The Tennis Express team is available to help you find the right tennis gear. Shop Tennis Express and find out why their customers call them a candy store for tennis players. Call 1-800-833-6615 or log on to www.tennisexpress.com today. Um, we had another question, too, from Ray Scott um, asking about some of the sporadic television coverage in tennis. And specifically that, uh, you know, Atlanta here is actually getting some coverage from ESPN uh, later in the, in, the, in the week, starting on Friday. It's being split with Tennis Channel. But you see events like this have, you know, some good coverage. And, 
you know, events like Indian Wells and Miami, two of the biggest short of the slams are still really only on tennis channel and uh, just not the mainstream coverage that you might think it deserves. And um, Pete, you might know a little more about why that is actually. Well, it's a change in climate, you know, let's face it. And uh, I think I, th- I think part of this is that the Tennis Channel is, you know, this is a great opportunity for Tennis Channel. Uh, you know, more and more households do have Tennis Channel now. Tennis Channel had a great year. There's a story in the New York Times during the French Open, I guess. The Tennis Channel had a remarkable spike in revenue for the past year at a time when everybody else is really, you know, being whacked and hammered by the recession. Now, that was a little bit funny because that had a lot to do with the number of households it was available in, and suddenly... A lot of these cable operators, when they see that there's a real call and demand for tennis channels, suddenly make it available. So there's a bit of a chicken or egg thing there. It says, you know, it wasn't as if they weren't, they were on the same channels before, but nobody's watching. Suddenly everyone's watching. It's really more that, you know, is it available? And I think it's going to become more and more available. And, you know, let's face it, you know, there's not, you know, I don't think there's a, you know, it, it's great to see it on ESPN, uh, some of these other networks. But, you know, let's face it, you know, it's it's a diverse world out there today. You know, you've got all kinds of cable platforms and, and even streaming and all these other things. So Tennis Channel is right in the mix there. I mean, I don't think that's a particularly bad thing for tennis that loses the prestige of being an ESPN and also the expertise of the commentators on ESPN, you know, which is really high value. But Tennis Channel has some very good people, too. Yeah, I think the specific reason for this has to do with Atlanta gets coverage on ESPN, whereas Indian Wells and Key Biscayne didn't. It has to do with the U.S. Open Series and the ESPN a few years ago decided to go with the Grand Slams, and that meant, and, and they sold, you know, the U.S. Open was able to to get them along those lines, get them involved with the U.S. Open series each week, whereas and ESPN decided specifically to move away from the Masters events like Indian Wells and Key Biscayne that they used to show just because there, there was a reason for it. They, do, they didn't feel like they could sell enough, enough ad time with it. They, they were unhappy that the sponsors of those events didn't also buy ads with them. They couldn't get them to do it, so they, they went to the slams and and Atlanta benefits from being linked to to the U.S. Open, yeah, in well, ESPN's eyes, which is another good. You know, I think that I think that shows the wisdom of having the U.S. Open series, and I'm I, I think it's a shame that it, that it you know the player commitment has been somewhat dodgy, especially on the women's side at these events. You know, they haven't really created the same sense of build-up. I mean, look, they're offering, what, double the prize money for the U.S. Open winner if the person also won the U.S. Open Series. And it's almost like you can't get the players to step up and take it. You know, you get, you know, players play two or three events max before, whereas you you would think that some of these players, are maybe not a Federer and a Dollar or Serena Williams, but some of these players who are really in the hunt there, like, you know, say, Yelena Yankovic, Maria Sharapova, you know, some some of the men players, you know, especially now with Roddick, Soderling, guys like that, you, Murray, do you think they would step and say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to suck it up and take a little rest after Wimbledon and then go after this hardcourt U.S. Open series, try to get the most points, and then if I win the U.S. Open, I get a double payday. But it really, that, that part hasn't really gelled, I don't think, the way they had hoped it no, would. the TV part has, but the player commitment part really hasn't. They haven't been able to get the guys to come over from Europe. And now that, now that Hamburg's there, it's even harder because they can stay and play a pretty big event. Yep. Pretty big event there. Yeah, one more note about television coverage. I was just um, assembling the TV schedule today. On Tennis Channel, this Sunday is uh, the final of the U.S. Open National Playoff where uh, the winner gets a spot into the qualifying, and that's actually on at 5.30. Uh, it's shown live, HD, everything. So this, this is on like – On Sunday? Yeah. It's, uh, wow, I just, that's great. just saw this. So uh, this was the one that our own Tom Prada – took a stab at and it's time uh, to be on tv i i didn't make it oh i didn't <laughs> but i mean it probably is pretty good man i'm sure it's between some some maybe ex-college yeah. pros i don't know if you know the players who are in it but uh you know the winner gets basically their own 
this is like the major title for them, of course. So. Yeah, the kid who won, the kid who won in New York, uh, Krivenos, He was a he was a, a pretty good prospect a few years ago. He's he's a good he's a good. Was player. he playing like challenger, future stuff? Yeah, he was a USTA was high on him a few years ago, and he, he didn't do as well as they thought. He might be in his early twenties now. Mm-hmm. He, he won in. In, in New York, anyway, yeah. it'd be fun just to watch these guys. I mean, they, they know they're going to be on TV. They know it's at stake, and I mean, it, it's kind of be a refreshing pause from these guys who are so professional that it's kind of business as usual every week, and they just go out there and play the game. You know, I think I think you know the potential for like emotional meltdowns <laughs> and stuff like that. It is is pretty good. Yeah, this this should be pretty good. I, I would tune into that. Um, one thing, uh, non related but on the women's. Uh, Former uh, player, top ten player Nicole Vitasova this weekend. P had a little piece on this. She uh, wed uh, her fellow uh, Czech Republican uh, Radek Stepanik this weekend, and uh, over in Prague, um, P had a little piece on that before. And uh, Czech Republican, it's, Czech Republican. You know, yeah. Are they Czech Democrats like too? That. Are they Czech, Czech Republican. Party members? Not, you know, I'm not sure if that was. Forget the nomenclature there, but that. <laughs> Member of the Czech Republic, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Citizen of the Czech Republic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you know, it was kind of, I couldn't help but smile when I saw the wedding picture of the two of them. They looked, you know, they, they looked happy and Vita Sova. You nice know, picture. Yeah, Very it was nice, a good cool picture, picture, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, Vita Sova was, was one of the outstanding talents, got as high as seven in the world. And her fall was both fast and also very mysterious. She never spoke about it. We at Tennis Magazine, I wrote the piece and we ran a piece in a magazine about Vita Sova's troubles and it was came out just about the time that she decided to pull a plug on her career i thought it was kind of nice to see that you know there's a new phase for her basically and for him as well i mean i think she's gonna be traveling to tour with him i wouldn't be surprised if she ends up coming back to the game that was my next question yeah i think she'll be back she's too young she's too young not to come back at some point she'll be still be involved with tennis and she probably just could have said i'm going to take a break for a year or 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 two years and not said she was going to retire it seems like another one of those situations where they where that word is a little more, maybe a little more than, than what she meant it to be. Yeah. Yeah, well, she had a lot, I mean, she had a lot of game. And, that, you know, uh, uh, e- even last year when uh, the last I saw her was the U.S. Open qualifying last year where she played, you know, she played in patches against, in the first round, I forget the girl's name, uh, who she lost to, but she played in patches. That, you know, she looked like a Wimbledon semifinalist mm-hmm. or a rather French Open, Australian Open semifinalist, Wimbledon quarterfinalist she'd been. And she, you know, she she looked like she had it, and then she her mind would just kind of go out, and you know, you wouldn't really see it if you were just casually watching her, but you could see her concentration was gone, her focus, her interest. It was almost as if she was like she didn't want to be there. It's it's tough if you start to start to lose matches. How easily, how easily your mind can can go, and how hard it is to to feel good about yourself on the court if you've lost a bunch of matches. I could, it's not surprising to me that something like that happens. Somebody, even though she has all that talent. You know, it's all it's all in your head, and if you start to lose, then then you start to feel really negatively about tennis and, and about being on a court, and it's not you know not as shocking as as some people might think. And she was an early start. I mean, early even by tennis terms, I think age yeah, wise. Won, won a few turns when she was seventeen, which yeah. only a few people have done. It yeah. also shows you how much how much passion, a basic passion. I mean, that word's overused a little bit. It's a bit of a cliche, I suppose. But you know, the desire to play, the desire to play and win. You're going out there saying, you know, I, I love doing this. This I'm so into this. You know, how much that really counts for all these people. And I, I think in a lot of the, it does wear off a little bit, even for the best of ones. You know, just like in a, in a marriage, the, you know, the romance tends to get a little bit more muted and. And stuff. So you know, basically, but but to lose that in tennis, I think, and to to get it to, to the extent where you know you really have this profound disinterest, you know, that's that's just crippling. And she was very professionalized and and you know managed when she was sixteen, seventeen, early as early as anybody that I've seen. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, we'll be back a little later in the week to talk uh, um, any more happenings in, over in Hamburg, Atlanta, or other events. And uh, until then, Steve Tigner, Pete Bodo, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thanks for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been listening to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express, the tennis industry's retailer of the year. For more news and information, head over to Tennis.com. Thanks for listening.